Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, I'm getting back in touch with the place where those two things meet and digging into the academic side of the podcast with return guest Daniel. As I used to say in the intro, spoiler alert, one of our big concepts is intertextuality and as such this episode will contain spoilers for multiple films and shows in the MCU especially in the second half in which Daniel and I count down our top five MCU installments from a, quote, snooty academic lens. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and or buying some There Was an Idea merchandise. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am once again joined by an MCU podcaster's best friend, Daniel. We recently heard from him in our episode about what's coming soon to the MCU, but he's back again today for some reflection on what has been. And I'm hoping that this conversation will in some ways be a continuation of the top fives conversation we started last time, and also a fun way of revisiting the root of this very podcast. So welcome back, Daniel. Thank you for having me again, Tara. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Anytime you want to have me, I will come back because I'm a big fan and I love talking about the big ideas in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, thank you for being here. And full disclosure to listeners, we had planned on having part of this conversation in our last one. And then you and I were talking about how much there really is to say about this. And thankfully, you were down and available to do a spinoff episode, so to speak. So we are today going to be sharing our top five installments in the MCU, but this time from a particular lens other than our overall favorites, which was the approach that I took in my MCU top fives with various guests of the podcast episode. And the last time that you were on, you shared yours. So this lens is one that you called a quote, snooty academic lens. So I want you to share with listeners what inspired you to come up with the premise of today's episode. Well, to be honest, Tara, it's your podcast that got me uh, on this track and shocker. um, But um, I remember Trey and Jude from MCU Need to Know, um, who who I'm, I'm friends with outside of podcast land. They introduced me to your podcast and I was just really taken by your approach from the humanities, looking at um, big ideas, looking at the MCU as literature um, from from that kind of interpretive lens. And that just really speaks to me as uh, a person who consumes media and pop culture and and literature and and, and everything. Because every once in a while, I will um, text you on Instagram like an article or something from philosophy would be like, this is what y'all were talking about today or something. And you'd be like, that's great. That's cool. And so it just got me thinking um, when you were doing your top fives and you asked me to do it. And I was like, we should do a top five, which MCU films above all the others tickle our academic fancy, you know, in the best sense of, of just like nerdy theoretical thinking Sorry, I have some dogs in the background who are a little energetic. So um, so really, you inspired me to come up with today's premise. Um, and I have thoughts about what that means. But, um, you know, it's it's there's some crossover for me in what my top five are. Um, I think you'll recognize some as maybe 
they're certainly, you know, connected with some of my favorite episodes of your podcast, but I'm excited to see, to hear what you, what you say and how you interpreted this. Well, thank you, first of all, for those kind words. And I Mm. really appreciate your being uh, such a kind and thoughtful and engaged listener of the show and meeting you, getting this connection with you through Trey and Jude of MCU Need to Know and Mm -hmm. developing the community that we have. And as you mentioned, a a lot of those articles or pieces that you have shared, a lot of the literature that you shared with me just casually over Instagram has put a lot of thoughts in my mind that I've then brought into the podcast. Like like when I was talking with my guest Mav on the trauma and chaos phase four themes episode, and you had shared with me the text, mm-hmm. the grand inquisitor, right from Dostoevsky. And it just totally got my brain going in that direction. So, so you've been a really active part of this podcast and continuing these conversations. So I really appreciate that. And I too am really interested in seeing the overlap that we might have in our top five snooty academic (laughs) lists. (laughs) And I'm also kind of curious, like, as you said, that there might be different ways of interpreting that. And what what exactly did you mean when you said snooty academic? Because I made my interpretation and ran with it. I'm curious to see (laughs) what exactly you meant by that. I I don't think I really knew, um, (laughs) but I think we both kind of understood each other, but we'll see. But for me, it has to do with how, when I watch a movie, um, I might enjoy it or I might kind of be, um, confused or interested by it, but I'm like, you know, it's, it's like, it it just kind of brings questions to my head. And then, um, you know, I'll come across, um, an idea in, um, philosophy or in um, film criticism or literary criticism or, or, um, or some piece of critical theory that just like um, helps me crack open whatever it is I'm watching or reading in a way that I hadn't thought about before. Usually it's a suggestion from someone else to say like, you know, this really reminds me of X and I'll be like, oh yeah. And it just, it, it, it it opens up the text, um, film, you know, music, whatever, in a way that I hadn't thought of before, you know, there's, there's maybe two levels to this. There's the level that says like this uh, film is ripe for theoretical engagement, Mm -hmm. you know? And so a few movies on my list have that. They just like the way they're structured, the way they, they uh, play with tropes and subvert things um, really, you know, I, I hear theory in the background that helps me, play with it. it 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 um the the art gives life to the theory in a way that the theory alone just can't do which is weird to say um but um oh, I like that. but then then there's the other level um which i'm sure a lot of people go down which is just like this film has like big ideas playing in it like from philosophy or from theology or from literature in characters in symbolism in history and so it's like there are almost like an academics Easter egg hunt, hunt, you know? And so when I say like, oh, I was watching Loki and like the Grand Inquisitor is like, that's what they're talking about. There's also like that level of snooty academic. And so like when your brain goes like, oh, like it's a footnote and it's like, whoever wrote that line definitely read this book, you know? And then, and then it kind of, it kind of sends you down a rabbit hole. So I, I kind of see those as two, maybe two ways of seeing um, what I mean. And that's reflected in my list. 
<laughs> yeah, and I would say that the the films and the shows that I have in the list in front of me also reflect one or both of those two ways of looking at it. I'm really struck by a couple of the phrases that you just said, right? This idea of opening up the text. I really like how you how you phrase that, and it's something that I'm going to be going to be thinking about as we continue to talk about this. So before we share our lists, I do want to talk a little bit more about what it is about the MCU that, as you said, tickles that academic or analytical sides of our brains. There have been plenty of detractors from the MCU, people on the internet who are just eagerly anticipating the day that Marvel movies are not in the center of the conversation anymore and do anything they can to take to Twitter to share their sometimes unfounded critiques of new MCU films before they've even seen them. I'm not bitter. It's okay. Um, <laughs> all the way up to people <laughs> like Martin Scorsese and other filmmakers who are incredibly talented and accomplished filmmakers who have critiqued the MCU as being popcorn entertainment without having any real substance to it. Uh, famously Scorsese talking about the MCU not being cinema, right? So there, there's plenty mm -hmm. of critique out there. And to a certain extent, I can understand why on a surface level, people who haven't engaged with this world might have a preconceived notion of what it is and might feel like superhero films or popular entertainment more broadly are not something that are worthy of or we're not something that maybe those individuals can find some resonance with to dig into in a more analytical way. That being said, I completely disagree with that. <laughs> so while, <laughs> while I'm trying to understand where others might be coming from, for me, it, it, it's quite the opposite. So thinking about this question for me personally, I found myself revisiting the premise and the intent of the podcast itself. And this is actually going to be episode 65 of the podcast. And it's not a huge number compared to other podcasters I know, but it's it's significant. It's It's been over a year. And I've talked about this before that the podcast has has changed in that when I began in the summer of 2020, I was having conversations with guests about the films that had already been released. And I intentionally set out to revisit those movies that I already knew and already loved from a particular angle, right? I organized them into categories. I identified concepts and I even posited some questions or thesis statements about what tied them together. I spent a lot of time playing matchmaker between a potential guest and the movie that I thought would be just right for them based on the perspectives that they could bring in. And I did this for two sets of eight films each in what I called season one and season two of the podcast. And then WandaVision came out and my approach to discussing <laughs> WandaVision still included that eye toward concepts in the humanities, as my description says, but it also became much more reactionary, right? Necessarily so. There was less time for reflection and curation of, of ideas and episodes. And from that point on, we've had a pretty consistent churn of new content. So it's mm. just kind of got me thinking about my approach to the podcast. And I'm really excited for this conversation today because it reminds me of what I was setting out to do. And I revisited the first episodes I put out, which were a mini introduction that I called Origin Story. And then after that, my mm -hmm. first analysis deep dive on Iron Man with my friend and colleague, Kat Delandry. 
And I was preparing to cringe a little bit (laughs) at the production quality or at my delivery. And maybe I did a little bit, to be honest. But I was also surprised at how well I felt those early episodes did hold up. Despite the it's fact solid. that I'm going to critique myself, of course, but I, I thought that they they held up. And listening to the origin episode specifically, it helped me to do some reflection and self-assessment in a way, right? Like, have I been doing what I set out to do and balancing what I called that heart, right? The passion and excitement from the fandom perspective that I have with more of that mind analysis. Have I been doing that consistently? So I was um, reinvigorated to revisit that. And one one of the things I said in that very first origin story episode, which I I hadn't recalled even saying, was that uh, in the moment that I was beginning the podcast, height of COVID and all of these other horrific things going on, the impulse to say Earth is closed today, but knowing that you can't and and that our heroes wouldn't wouldn't either. And it just again reminds me of for me personally, popular entertainment has always been an escape from problems, but not just an escape, also a way to process problems of the real world. So I say that about entertainment in general and the way that I've always related to it, but there's something in particular about superhero stories that, and I've said this before too, I find particularly interesting because they speak to our anxieties about the world. They speak to some of our fears and our hopes about the world. I also really love horror And I love the horror genre because of the way that it speaks about our anxieties and our fears. But the superhero films bring in that added layer of of hope. And I think that's just one of the many reasons why talking about the MCU is something that I feel like I can do endlessly. And so there's that about the superhero genre, but the MCU also has that added layer of such an intriguing playfulness with narrative structure to it that just completely gets me going and that Mm -hmm. that interweaving of the intertextual web is just something that i could endlessly geek out about so that is some of my musing on on this podcast and why the mcu engages my my brain just as much as it engages my excitement or my fangirlness <laughs> or whatever yeah. else it might be. But what is it for what is it for you, Daniel? Well, I, I, I want to take a step back, Tara, because um for those of you listening who are familiar with Trey and Jude's MCU Need to Know, mm-hmm. every once in a while they do what's called a meta episode. And it's usually the culmination of like they finish something big and they need to kind of like breathe. Jude calls it podcasters self-care. And I feel like you've just been communicating that through your microphone. Just like you've done this like reflective stepping back. Why am I doing this? And so I don't know if you've listened to those episodes, uh, Tara, but like I'm feeling some of those vibes. It's not as silly, obviously, as they, but but maybe it will be. I um, love it. But I don't know if you I don't know if you know what I'm talking about or if you feel those vibes at all. I absolutely do. I'm so glad you brought mm-hmm. that up. The meta episodes are some <laughs> of my favorite things that Trey and Jude do. And I love their show so much. I'm always excited to hear their meta episodes because as a listener, it's fun to get that behind the scenes peek. 
But it's also really engaging as a fellow podcaster because I can relate so much to some of what they're doing. And I love Jude's phrase, podcasting self-care. I think you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. I think I, I touched something just now when I was going through that reflection. <laughs> um, so thank you for being part of this. Uh, there was an ideas somewhat meta episode as well. <laughs> I am super excited. I probably I'm a big fan. So I'm a big fan who's like involved now. So your question. What is it about the MCU? Well, I I've never had a um, any problem seeing um, pop culture as a, a as a vehicle for the human experience as something real and something meaningful. So when I was a child, I loved reading and I loved books. I loved comics from early on, and I I didn't they, they weren't childish things for me. I mean, aside from like you know, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic that I have, the first real comic book that I read that I remember reading again and again and again that really grabbed me on a on a deep level was when I was in sixth grade and it was called Batman Death in the Family. Mm-hmm. And it was a trade paperback of a series of issues where um, not, well, you're, I know you're up on your Batman lore, but you're, you're, um, <laughs> your, your listeners might not be. So Batman has traditionally has a sidekick named Robin, but in Batman lore, there, there have been three, maybe more Robins in, in there's been Dick Grayson, who was the first, there was Jason Todd. And then there's Tim Drake. And my understanding is I don't really, I don't read Batman anymore. Um, but Tim Drake, I think is the current uh, Robin. The second Robin was Jason Todd and spoilers people. I'm sorry, but this happened in the eighties. So uh, mm-hmm. get over it. He was killed by the Joker in this story called death in the family. And the cover is Batman uh, looking haggard in his suit and his eyes are black, like the shadows are hitting him. And he's holding um, Jason Todd's broken body in his like, it's an old Robin gown. So uh, garb. So it's not like the skin, the tights, it's like the little green pants, you know, mm-hmm. and like the red shirt and he's dead. And it's, it's, um it's a brutal story. And I read that again and again and again. And I was like, this is what comics can be. And so I, I've always seen these stories as vehicles for communicating intense emotions and real, real human uh, stakes and tragedies and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, I like the, as I said on your podcast before your listeners who've, who've met me before I've, I, you know, watched Batman movies, the X-Men movies, all of those, are those things, you know, they, they show real stakes and real people who happen to have superpowers um, or, you know, happen to, you know, swing around in a cape at night. But um, with the MCU, it's interesting. I think part of the reason why I find myself, I've re-entered fandom. I had this conversation with someone recently because I, I wasn't doing this kind of fan stuff for like the Batman trilogy, mm-hmm. um, the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. and the X-Men movies and stuff. I did it for like the X-Files when I was a teenager, you know, AOL chat rooms, all that crazy stuff. I would go to conventions and, and stuff like that. And then, you know, I went to college and I didn't have money for it and stuff like that. But, but, you know, now I, I, I had a little bit more time COVID and, and, and also there's something about the MCU and it, it was something that you said, Tara, about the, the interconnectivity, like yeah. it begs you to look for, connections and themes, even though they're different writers and different directors, it begs you to look for like 
overriding or underlying themes and, and, and these arcs, you know, and, and obviously like phase one, they were just starting. And so it wasn't really there. And then, you know, they went hard in phase two and then phase three. And now it's like, what are they going to cover in phase four? Like, what's the theme? Yeah. You know, what is Eternals going to be about? How is that going to contribute to the MCU? Is it going to be, is it going to tear, take, take it down a notch or is it going to elevate it? And now it's a thing. And so I, I look at it, it's a serialized um, extended story that, you know, it's like a universe basically. And, um, and it's like why I like, big thick volumes of science fiction because there are all these different stories you know intertwined um these are some of my notes part of the reason why i i love i love these things is because they play with these big ideas and narrative and um the really successful stories that do that i think prioritize the story over the ideas you know because if you're if your ideas are, are, are uh, driving the story, you lose that kind of humanity. And it's, it's like interesting to philosophy people, but everyone else is like, where's the humanity. And, sure. and so what I, what I like about even, even um, some of the, you know, the movies that I'm going to describe here that really grab me intellectually are still, th- those ideas are still subordinate to the story. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. I think it's a, a it's a strength. Um And you couldn't, I don't think you could do that with these blockbusters anyway, movies that are meant to make a lot of money. I don't think you can do that, but um, that's just giving, that's, I'm just trying to give you some of my, my thinking around this question. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing that title, Batman, A Death in the Family. I have not read that. I am going to put it on my list of comics to read because I am getting more into comics nowadays. And I looked up the cover of it as you were describing that, and you did a great job capturing that image it's very powerful it's in my memory yeah. it's in my memory i mean like 12 13 year old daniel i went by danny at the time <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh it's it's not a pretty story yeah. i mean it's not it's i'm like why was i reading that but you know i mean i read a lot of roll doll you know and sure. there's a lot of darkness in those stories Absolutely. um so i've got more comics i'll shoot them off to you i'm reading so i got marvel unlimited I finally just caved. Oh, cool. And I'm reading The Eternals and it's weird. (laughs) You know, The Eternals is definitely going to be a contender for the top five from the academic lens list. Absolutely. I can already feel it. You think so? I I think so. I I think so too. I saw, I saw a headline. It's not a spoiler because it's, it's like, it's like exactly what I expected from this movie. It was like Marvel's cinematic achievement or, you know, like, horribly boring slog like it's 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 like this is the polarity you know and i'm like that's the kind of movie i want to go see and i'm pretty sure i'm gonna love it but the 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 comic is like there's this bizarre humor that's like very gendered and like (laughs) i I was gonna screenshot you a a, like one of these random panels with all these bizarre jokes and i'm like because like the, the 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 lore is that chloe zhao was inspired by Kirby's original comics because they've redone them a couple of times. Like Neil Gaiman did, did a run. Yes. And then a couple of more recent people. They, they, I feel like this is the child, this, 
the child, the like forgotten child of Marvel, they've been trying to reboot it for like dec- every decade and it just fails every time to like pick up steam. And I'm like, I guess they're trying again, you know? And, yeah. and, and so I'm reading the, they're, they're weird. I'm intrigued. So, I'm very yeah. intrigued. <laughs> I want to comment on another thing that you were just describing about the narrative structure of the MCU. There's an article mm-hmm. in the New Yorker by an author called Maya Phillips. It was published in 2019, and it's called The Narrative Experiment That Is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm going to send it to you. I'm also going to put it in the show notes because it it talks a lot about storytelling, going all the way back to the ground rules of storytelling laid by Aristotle in Poetics. And then it talks about other scholars who have written about their, you know, have put forth their own definitions of what plot is and and how narrative works. And it talks a little bit about the expansive world building of things like Lord of the Rings and other high fantasy and science fiction and things like that as well. And it it gets a little bit cynical about the MCU toward the end. So while I don't agree with that part, I do want to read part of the article here because I think it connects to what you and I have both mentioned as being resonant with us about you know, why we're so invested in the MCU. So this is the cynical part. Um, (laughs) The author writes, one imagines that with time, the intricate web linking the movies will get more frayed and insubstantial. Maybe there's a missing article there. I'm not sure. And the new films will seem increasingly inessential. Again, I disagree, but okay. And yet they write, after a certain point, following a story for a long time becomes a story in and of itself. When watching any individual movie, a kind of pattern recognition and intellectual interest in how each new story evokes or departs from the others replaces narrative pleasure. The narrative worth caring about becomes the story of one's own interaction with the MCU. Just as people ask about historical events, where were you when that happened? So fans ask where they were when Iron Man came out, when the Avengers first assembled, when heroes and villains battled in Wakanda. This is the story that's truly limitless. Hmm. It's interesting. I, I certainly don't agree with everything that's in there, but I, I thought it was interesting to to look at. And as I said, I'm going to link that article in the show notes for for people to dig into a little bit more. Yeah, I'm. Um, I found it while you were reading and, and was following along a little bit. And I think I don't think that's that's an unfair point. Um, a lot of people have speculated. I mean, it's like Nick Saban and in, in the Crimson Tide, like you know, they lost a couple of weeks ago and it's like, this is it. They're yeah. done. It's all over. And it's like, then next week they win by whatever. And it's like, Oh, you know, can, can Marvel keep it up? You know, is it, is it, is this it, you know? And I think that um, what's, what's really remarkable, how they continually reinvent themselves in like, you know, you have like the classic phase one movies Mm-hmm. And, and now we, we go back, like I've been watching, um, I found out my wife hasn't watched the Iron Man films. So I'm like, good Lord. Uh, and, and, you know, they, there are aspects of that movie that don't hold up so well, his, his kind of crass, um, machismo and, and, and joking and, and like the plane scene, yeah. you know, where he's like got all the stewardess and stuff. It's like, eh, it doesn't hold up so well, but, but I mean, you know, it's, it's in character, I guess, but, but it's, 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 it's still, it's still delightful, mm-hmm. but you can't make that movie anymore. Uh, and yet we have Shang-Chi, which is, you know, now, and it's, 
so fresh. Yeah. And, you know, it's still a Marvel movie. I mean, there's no, there's no debating that it is, it is absolutely a Marvel movie. Um, I feel like, you know, but to, to disagree with it. So I'm a very big star Wars fan. And for a long time, I resisted the expanded universe that includes the, the, uh, the animated series and the novels and the comic books and everything. Mm-hmm. And several years ago, and I'll credit Jude for this of MCU need to know, um, this is before he was doing a podcast, but he, um, he was like, you haven't watched clone wars or rebels. I was like, no, he's like, you have to watch those shows. They will completely change your perspective on star Wars. And, and they have, and, um, I don't, I don't agree with the, 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 this idea that like, if you think the MCU is, is intricate and wild and goes off in all different, different directions, the universe of star Wars is far more complex as is any, any, you know, um, self-contained comic book universe, you know, they just get, that is actually the mark of comic books is how they constantly reinvent themselves. And yes. sometimes they do a good job and sometimes they don't. And so that's kind of what we're, I really, I, I want like, this kind of what they're going through some growing pains with this multiverse stuff, but like, that's, that's where I think that, um, having, I have a, I, I always had a passion for comic books and that kind of a universe. I mean, the same goes for, for Lord of the Rings. Um, if you've seen the films and even to some extent read the book, then you're familiar with the basic structure. But if you know anything about Tolkien and the world that he built, the Lord of the Rings is literally, he wrote an appendix at the end of the Lord of the Rings. And it is, it is dense with history that is full of stories. And the War of the Ring, which is a thousand pages, this Lord of the Rings, is two paragraphs of that appendix. Mm. This just goes to show how like, how um how a massive yeah. his the scale was in his in his understanding of how that story worked and then his his son well into his 90s when he just Christopher Tolkien just recently died published many unpublished works that were edited and curated um of his father's writings that 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 um uh gave voice to a lot of the stories that he had developed in those appendices that he never finished and so you can go back and read all these different myths of that original Lord of the Rings story. So I think that it's it's something, it's not impossible. It's actually very possible and has yeah. been done. Um, and it's been done well and it's been done poorly. So, you know, um, but that's that's another day. I think the example of the Lord of the Rings is a is a great one here in that I, for example, am a person who has engaged with the Lord of the Rings in terms of reading a couple of the books, a couple of the original books. Don't remember if I read all of them. And then I saw the movies. Not a tremendous fan, but I saw them, right? <laughs> so I was able to engage with them to the, deg- to the degree with which I wanted to engage with them and get my level of enjoyment out of them. Other people mm-hmm. can engage with them in a different way if they want to. And I actually have, not to overquote articles here tonight, but there's another piece that I have up on my computer right now. It's called Choose Your Own Adventure, The Marvel Universe and Our Cultural Values, A Postmodern View of the Marvel Comics and Cinematic Franchise. This one is from 2015, so certainly not current, uh, by Vicki Saxon. And she writes here, and she also quotes a few other articles, and I'll put links to all of these in the show notes because they're great. So she writes here, 
The continued expansion of the MCU in both TV and movies extends the spirit of the Marvel Comics universe. That's kind of to your point, Daniel, right? That this is what comics has always done. Long established as an environment where the reader has control over what stories to read and how to read them. In a 1995 issue of Studies in Popular Culture, Carl Silvio wrote that a founding principle of the Marvel Comics universe is the postmodern notion that, quote, contests the idea of center as an organizing and totalizing principle within a narrative. And then the article goes on. Each Marvel comic title constitutes its own narrative core, but can be enriched by reading other titles in the universe and participating in crossover events. So this idea of comics being an environment in where the reader has control over what stories to read and how to read them, I think is so fascinating and obviously has worked well there. It has worked well in these other universes like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. And it's yeah. been so cool <laughs> to see this play out in motion pictures in the yeah. MCU. And I love that too, that there are going to, there is room, there is going to continue to be room. I believe this, there's going to continue to be room for the casual viewer, for the casual fan. And there's yeah. also going to be excitement and engagement for those of us who enjoy that intertextuality. I'd, I'd like to read that article that, that she was quoting because I can't imagine like Jack Kirby and Stan Lee <laughs> sitting around saying, well, the one thing we're definitely going to do is contest the idea of center as an organizing <laughs> principle. I just don't see that, <laughs> but, it does, but I take his point. Well, I think, I think it's, I think it's partly a function of, of necessity in the sense that not everyone could read all the comics and they probably weren't thinking about continuity as much as exactly. we do today. We probably right. can thank Star Trek for that. Um, I love Star Trek, by the way, and I've seen all the Star Trek theories, but that's the first place in my life where I really ran into people, individuals and fans and, and writings and stuff that were very, very committed to continuity and technology and understanding mechanics and explaining things in ways that made sense. And I was just like, whoa, you know, when, when, you know, obviously like si science was important to Gene Roddenberry, but he wasn't, he wasn't totally interested in like, you know, deep canonical continuity. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that um, I, I think that um, this site, this article is definitely resonates with me and what I was trying to get at with um, why I think the MCU is um not lasting is 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 persisting in Persists, in in, yeah. in, uh, in our imaginations you know what is the mcu if not storytelling persisting <laughs> <laughs> yeah we may hear from vision again i think in this we episode. will i think we will so on <laughs> that note why don't we get yep. into our countdown of our top five favorite installments of the mcu from our snooty academic lens what we will do is we'll start with you we'll count down from number five so your number five and then my number five but as i mentioned in the note on our outline if one of us because we might have some overlap so if one of us mm -hmm. has something on our list but the other person has it a little bit higher on the list we will kind of dig into it on the higher number so if you're saying if i put thor the dark world as number five but you put it as number one, 
I'll mention it at five, but we'll wait to dig into it until we get to your number one. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Way to spoil the list. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. So why don't we oh, start man. with your number five? Okay. So my number five is, um, I don't mean to, I'm not like trying to discredit it. It's just that I, I don't have the fullest thoughts around it. And so it's the weakest one on here, but um, it's probably because I need, I needed more time, I think, to think about it. Five movies is a lot to like really dig in yes. on this thing. Um, but okay. So my number five is Dr. Strange. My number five is also Dr. Strange. Look at that. <laughs> yes. Oh man, Tara, this is ridiculous. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so do you want me to start yes. and talk about why? Okay. So I am a theologian by training and I have studied in my, in my graduate studies, I studied a lot of Hindu thought, um, classical texts to be specific, classical texts in um, Hindu thought, the yoga sutras, um, some um, early um, uh, Hindu theology, which was, you know, what we were reading was something new and unique, um, but it's, it's ancient, you know, it's like 1500 years old or something like that. But, but, um, and so uh, when I saw Dr. Strange, um, I, I was fascinated by the, um, by the story and the way that it weaved together different um, schools of thought. It's a, it's a hard um, affirmation of the metaphysical, but in a way that's unlike say Western frameworks um, that grounds things in the physical. And my, my, the example I point to is um, the, the ancient one. So when the ancient one is about to die, she is talking to uh, Dr. Strange in the astral plane. And she's like, I've seen, she, she's seen everything up to this moment. Like she's seen everything. And so that brings up questions of determinism that she's known everything that's going to happen is very omniscient, but she can't see past her death, which means that her spirit does not persist past the death of her body, which to me means that it's grounded in the physical, which is very in keeping with a lot of what I understood in various schools of thought in Hindu, Hindu thinking that there's actually a material basis for, for things. There's different levels of material reality, but there's a, there's a basis there. The kind of dualism that we have in, in, in the West is, is it's different. So I thought that's, I think that's fascinating. I'm, I'm fascinated with, uh, with stories that, that, um, in, that explore that. And like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, it does it in a way that subordinates these big ideas to the story, which I think is a good thing. Um, but so basically it, it affirms the metaphysical in a universe that's very like gods are just strong beings that live on another planet, right? Thor is the God of thunder. No, he's just a strong being who lives on another planet, has a magical transportation bridge that <laughs> makes him look like a super, superhuman or whatever, but he's not a, he's not a God in the theological sense. So he, uh, this movie introduces different planes of existence, it, it, the multiverse levels of reality, the spiritual realm. And, um, it also has the timey wimey elements. Um, the ancient one knows everything up to the point of her death. Um, he can manipulate time. And then the last piece is the, um, the final battle is not a battle. It is a, it is a, it's not your typical action finale. It's, you know, Dormammu I've come to bargain. And then it's, it's this repetition. It's very interesting, uh, dynamic there. I think it's just ripe for, for thinking. 
Now you go. <laughs> what was it about Doctor Strange that that grabs that grab that made you put on number five? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you sharing your your background knowledge of Hindu texts and that theologian perspective because that's not something that I have. For me, looking at Doctor Strange. There are so many visuals and so many lines in this film that, as you said, get at this idea of the metaphysical, get at this idea about thoughts versus reality, existence. Who are you in this vast multiverse, Mr. Strange? Right? There is so much to dig into here. And ultimately, why I thought this was worthy of putting on this list is that it is about the quest for knowledge. You have mm-hmm. a character here who, as the ancient one says, a man looking at the world through a keyhole, you spent your whole life trying to widen that keyhole to see more, yes. to know more, right? He he implores her, teach me, right? It's about his quest for knowledge. And mm-hmm. I think that's so interesting, we, the imagery of the library. Um, so for me, this is very much a, a film that just evokes all of that. Excellent. I Excellent. think um, I think there's probably a lot more to even dig into in some of those visuals and in some of those lines that I haven't necessarily spent mm-hmm. the time doing. And and much like you, mm-hmm. that's why I have it here at number five. But there's mm-hmm. a lot, a lot you could dig into with Doctor Strange. Yeah, I I I read. Um, I did some googling, right? Um, and I read this this um this article. It wasn't you know anything. Uh, it was I think it was a, a woman who was reflecting on it. it might be a blog post um but she she breaks down the different scientific or philosophical perspectives that are embodied by these different characters so you have strange who starts out as a scientific materialist but then he affirms a higher purpose and is willing to sacrifice himself so he basically starts out as like, like a narcissist um but then he moves into a a, a kind of higher higher sense mm. give K- K- uh, calicula what's his name Caecilius. Cassilius, okay. He's like a nihilist because um, life is meaningless because we don't last. And the only thing that can make our lives meaningful is if we can live forever, even if it's sublimated in some demon god in another dimension. Um, and um, Mordo represents a kind of um, a kind of black or white extremist kind of thought that that you know, whereas like strange and the ancient one affirm the kind of unity of the light and the dark realm or aspects of reality, Mordo can't accept that. And, 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 and it, it has like, I mean, he, 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 he cuts ties with strange and then goes on his kind of conquest and, you know, to, to like, you know, purify magic. Um, And so that's ripe. You know, I just thought, I thought that was, that was ripe too. Cool. But yeah, pretty funny that we're both starting off on the same foot here with Doctor Strange at number five. What do you have at mm-hmm. number four? Okay, my number four is Captain America Civil War. Okay, this one I have higher on the list. Okay. So So how do we so now we do your number four? Okay, so we'll we'll do my number four. I have Black Panther at number four. Okay, that is my that is higher on my list. <laughs> So we already know that we have three out of the five in common, even if I know different. (laughs) So that's pretty funny. So we're going to hold off on Black Panther and Captain America Civil Mm -hmm. War for the time being. Mm -hmm. That means we go to you for your number three. My number three. And these these were hard to like order. Yes, they are. Um, 
So my number three is Captain Marvel. Okay. I do not have Captain Marvel on the list. I'm very, very excited to hear what you have to say about Captain Marvel. Okay. Well, everything... The the reading that I that in, that enlivened me originated in your podcast about this episode, which you did with your friend CH. That's right. Which was early in your show, and just you know, it all starts with Buffy. <laughs> right. Does. I mean, it's just like it all starts with Buffy. So that that grabbed me, of course. But um, the movie, I mean, there. One of the reasons why I loved the movie when I saw it and I understood some of the basic, you know, um, uh, intellectual themes that were happening that in, in a, in a crass way, like, you know, uh, uh, feminist ideas, uh, rolling through, um, not so much in the structural pieces because I'm not that savvy, uh, without point, without, you know, huge pointers telling me where to look, but certainly in some of the imagery and the things that happen in the movie. And I was so struck when I saw that movie by some, some, um, some of my friends or people that I know who immediately jumped to, they were like, well, I like the movie, but that scene where she fell and then stood up mm. was just so in your face and like, blah, and these are all men. And I was like, Ooh, that touched something there, you know, like, Ooh, that, that really, that that touched a nerve there. I want to, and then I I listened to your podcast, and um, I've made it no no secret that um, I adore listening to you and Ch discuss everything from Captain Marvel to Loki. Thank you. Um, and so um, basically rip, riffing off of everything that you guys said, but you know, like I I the 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 um, the, the layers of of the, the way in which this is a feminist movie and not just in the um, the explicit imagery, but in the structure of the story. So the way that Jude Law's character from the beginning is, is gaslighting Veers through very explicitly coded, you know, anti-woman messaging, like, you know, uh, don't give in to your emotions, mm-hmm. don't use your powers, blah, blah, blah. Like very obviously... That was, that was thick. But then in the narrative structure of like, she doesn't know who she is. Um, other people are telling her who she is. So I, I found that to be, um, I, I find that to be uh, right for me. And then um, th- something that I hadn't thought of it. At, uh, well, I had thought of it in, in the imagery or in the, in the, in, in what I see as, as um, a clear, a clear, uh, romantic relationship between uh, Maria and, and Carol, but <laughs> yes. that's not made explicit. Um, CH talks about how this is a queer identity story, and they are very open about how that they are reading this into the story. But for someone like from my vantage point, who does a lot of work in interpretation, um, specifically in biblical and theological texts, that is. 90% of what interpretation is, is what sure. we bring to it. And pe- when people are surprised by that, I'm like, you need to do more interpretive reading and read more about like how people do interpretation, because that's not shocking or strange. Um, it's, it's actually quite how we engage in text as we, we bring ourselves to the text to make sense of it. So yeah. um, hearing that, and it's also something that I've been thinking about a lot, just in my own, in my own thinking, I'm, I'm a teacher, I teach high school students thinking about, uh, about, uh, uh, queerness and queer identity and the, the theoretical ideas about that, around that. 
So I pulled out some of the things that CH mentions as, as part of that. They say, you know, in this story, uh, versus told that, that she is someone else, but that's not your true self. She sees her true self through others, like in Maria. And that's how she connects to herself. It, 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 it was, um, and then, and then the, again, with the narrative, narrative play, like you, you're being told by, you know, everyone outside of you that you are something and that is not who you are. And so you know that it's not you, but you don't know who you are. You have to figure it out. So yeah. I was very um, taken by that interpretation and it, it sparked my interest. And it's, it's part of the reason why I think Captain Marvel is a really fun movie and there's a lot of fun stuff that happens, but underneath it, I think there's a lot of cool stuff going on, both in terms of explicit ideas and in how the narrative is, is played um, just in terms of structure and stuff like that. It's not yeah. your typical superhero movie where it's like, happens and this happens and this happens and the character changes it's like you don't know along with the character what's going on and it's revealed to you at the same time exactly yeah that and that's what i love about captain marvel so much as well as like fun 90s movie great music great visuals love seeing fury love seeing colson brie larson is amazing right like so love all of that stuff and i could see how some of the stuff that is the almost like hashtag girl power feminism of it yeah. where, where, you know, we're hearing no doubts. I'm just a girl playing in her mm-hmm. fight scene or, you know, the guy on the motorcycle is, 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 you know, telling her to smile or whatever it is. Okay. So that stuff is very in your face, but to your point, Daniel, and, and to the conversation that CH and I had back on, you know, last year on the podcast was that idea of like, okay, no, what are the subtle ways that they're really playing with this idea of gender and identity that is not necessarily the in-your-face part. That's the interesting part. And I don't think the movie gets enough credit for being a unique telling of an origin story and for doing Mm -hmm. some of that marriage of storytelling structure and content itself in in a cool way. So I'm glad you put it on the list because it it didn't quite (sighs) make mine, but I'm glad that we got uh, got to mention it here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it, um, I love a movie. It, it, another reason why I love this movie is it made a billion dollars or something. And yet it's able to the, it's like what we saw with Loki and the, you know, self-love. I mean, they kiss, you know, it's like three episodes in, we were like, and then by the sixth episode, we're like, yeah. So it's (laughs) like, they, they got us it. They got us there. Um, this movie is like, big blockbuster Disney approved and all these ideas are swirling around. And for those who know what to look for, and I, I'm a white cisgender male. I do not know what to look for. I've, I've, it's, it's an education for me. It's something that I'm growing and learning, but for, for queer people, for, for women, you know, for, for these ideas that people live rather than someone like me who just reads about it or, or hears about it from other people's experience, it's there. I love that. I think it's, it's, um, it's a way of, um, you know, educating people without them realizing it, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's like getting out, getting it in front of people, um, you know, and, 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 um, and that's part of, that's part of the reason why it's so engaging for me, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Go all goes back to, uh, windows and mirrors, right. And, and Uh texts are, are windows and mirrors. So I have Loki at number three. Can I tell you, I that I, that was one of my darlings that I had to kill. You did, okay. Like I really, well, I, and I thought it was like 
I'm not ready to put it on here yet because I haven't, I haven't thought of, thought of it enough. I think, I think I haven't thought about it enough. That's fair. So, um, it's just too, it's, it's too recent. It's too fresh. I love it too much. And so it's like, it's like up in the stratosphere for me, you know? So yeah, but now we get to talk about it. So we do get to talk about it. <laughs> I oh, actually, <laughs> I agree with you that I don't think my thoughts on it are fully fleshed out because I hmm. watched it. I watched each episode two or three times in the week that it aired, but I have not mm-hmm. yet gone back and watched the entire series. I had also at a few moments, in addition to watching that week's episode, I watched one or two or however many leading up to it, but I haven't done a full rewatch of the series. It is still new. I put it on here just because I, I do think that in terms of an installment of the MCU putting all of the ideas in your face (laughs) and saying, do with them what you will. Um, And then also inviting you to apply different lenses of your own to it. I I think that it's one that does that perhaps more than any other before Uh, themes Mm -hmm. of identity and time and purpose and the self and free will and determinism. It's all, it's all there. There's a lot to dig into. I, noted a, a quote from Tom Hiddleston when he and some of the other people involved in the show were asked about what Loki the show is about. He said, I think the shape-shifting logo might give you an idea that Loki the show is about identity and about integrating the disparate fragments of the many selves that can that he can be and perhaps the many selves that we are. And Hiddleston is such a smart guy. <laughs> You're giving me chills. And now I'm not going to change. I'm going to knock off my number one and put Loki at number one. Like this is, this is, I'm so stupid for not, it was the first one on my list when I made this list, but then I was like, I can't do it right now. It's too, it's too, I can't speak objectively about it. So I, oh I, my gosh. I think you should stick to that. I love this show. Like, oh my gosh, the music. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. The music is amazing. But this idea about it being about the many selves that we are, this, yes. uh, this idea about the process of becoming a self-reflection, self-awareness, learning to love oneself, the way that the theme of learning to love oneself is externalized here in the way of having the connection between him and Sylvie what makes Loki a Loki? What makes us who we are? You know, th- mm-hmm. what makes us who we are is a question that has come up a lot in the MCU. And mm-hmm. I think that superhero stories are have always been identity stories. But yeah, in Loki, it, it's getting explicitly more, more philosophical in that way. Nature, nurture, context, You're, experience. Yep. It's all its all there. And again, I'm also just mm-hmm. listing things right now. So to your point, Daniel, like I haven't come up with any real statement here other than there's so much to get into in this show. And and it's not finished yet. And yeah. so I, and this is something that Jude and I talked a lot about, Jude from uh, MC, you need to know that like we, we were somewhat dissatisfied with they were they were almost like playing with the ideas like you would in like a, a you know a morality class in high school like I'm a teacher I'm a teacher so I, I would teach morality and I would throw these ideas out there to whet their appetite and introduce them to it maybe I show them a clip from something but we do that and then we move on but it's not it's not a substantive engagement and I I think maybe my I'm putting too much on the on the show to let it be 
And by letting kind of letting that go, I, the show became what it needed to for me, which was great. But Mm -hmm. I, so long story short, I think identity is big, but the the idea of free will and determinism, I don't think they carry that through. I think it became much more about who am I? Yes. um, And it became what, what is my purpose? It became, can I love myself, you know, in, in, in a really kind of oddly Loki specific way, you know, that only a Loki could like, you know, uh, fall in love with him, with him or herself. Um, but, but it's, 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 um, I don't know. Um, I still, yeah, (laughs) I see see what you're saying. No, for the very fact alone that we know it's not a complete whole yet. Right. So technically Mm. number three on my list is not Loki. It's Loki season one. Um, because we know there's going to be more to the story. And I'm very excited about where we're going to see these concepts develop in the continuation of that story. But as it stands, you're right. We don't necessarily have a a fine bow on all of the ideas that the show put forth. That being said, you know, the fun of it is is to kind of dig into it and see where these themes overlap. But I I completely understand your reasons for (laughs) not including it just yet. But I'm glad that we got a chance to to chat about it anyway. All right, so let's take stock of where we are at so far. Number five, you had Doctor Strange. Number four, you had Captain America Civil War, which we are going to circle back to. That's on ice for right now. (laughs) Number three, you had Captain Marvel. Number five, I had Doctor Strange as well. Number four, I had Black Panther. We're also going to come back to that one. And then number three, I had Loki. So what do you have at number two? Number two, I have as black panther all right so um this this movie this is in one of my this is in my top five list and i think the phrase that i used was it's the platonic form of an mcu movie and i meant that um it it is it is wildly the 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 the, the plurality of ideas that 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 flow out of this for me is, is, is never ending. Um, and that's in part because of my, my whiteness, quite frankly, um, and my lack of knowledge. Uh, and, um, aside from being a a kick-ass movie, there are so many interesting themes, um, not the least of which are racism and colonialism, but identity themes of utopia and morality. Um, and I, 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 learned every time I think about this movie and I read more about it, I learn more. And, um, I learn concepts that I didn't know before. Um, they become metaphors for the writers to explore as uh, as narrative tools, which I, I love. So there's, there's a, there's an article that I read, um, that is called black Panther Afrocentric ethical fable. Mm. And it, um, it talks it the the, the author um, raised the, the this notion of the void. Have you heard of this? The void, possibly. It's it's related to the trans transatlantic slave trade. Oh, then yes. Okay, so as a history teacher, I thought maybe you would, but I, I was not familiar with this and the concept of the um, the loss, the absence of all the individual uh, Africans who were 
lost in the transatlantic slave trade, just gone from history, erased from, you know, from their homelands, uh, from the boats as uh, they were crammed on and brought over, um, just lost. And so there is this, um, this, it's, it's an imagination, it's an imagined thing that, that, um, you know, all of all the contributions, the possible contributions, collective contributions that were lost to history because of this, this, um, this practice, uh, is a, is a metaphor functioning for the writers of Black Panther. And I was like, what? So he, so whenever I talk about this with people, we always talk about the, uh, you know, the dilemma that is presented as being really interesting and, um, and, uh, and kind of ironic because, you know, we say the kind of popular way of saying it is that Killmonger had the, the, had the right argument, but the wrong method. Um, and T'Challa had the wrong, uh, the wrong perspective, but obviously is dedicated to peace and, and unity. Um, but this author locates the main dilemma between, and I'm, I'm more or less quoting from him, um, paraphrase quoting from, from this author. Um, and I'll link the, in the, I'll, I'll send you the link Great. between uh, the, the main dilemma between T'Challa and Killmonger is a debate in this, in, in the sixties, black nationalism of the black Panther movement between a isolationist separation focusing on self-reliance. So that, that was like one school of thought in the Black Panther movement and the other being the ideologic, ideology of violent resistance. Um, and so one is the isolationist movement to T'Challa and the Wakandans and the other being Killmonger. And, and so that that kind of, it, it forces me to reconcile that like, kill, like the violence that Killmonger embodies is a part of his perspective. It's not just mm. a means and ends dichotomy. It's like they are interconnected yes. and I have to, I have to, I have to reckon, I have to deal with that. It's not like, like the, the kind of European, like, oh, mind body split, like, well, his means are, are wrong, but his, his intentions are good. Like, no, no, there's, there is a, there is a resistance here and it has a goal and it, 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 it chooses violence Great point. And not, 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 yeah, not that that's a, that's a bad thing. I mean, the, the violence experienced is, is it's a reactionary movement. So it's not like, uh, it's not like, um, it's coming out of nowhere. Yeah. So the question, the question, um, this, this author writes is whether Wakanda will stay isolated or use its resources and technology to free Africa and the African diaspora by any means necessary, which is a phrase from the Black Panther movement in that, in that realm of, of ideas. He notes that this fable of Wakanda is a combination of African elements, um, but in a kind of syncretic way. Um, but but he says it suffers no more from its mythic elements than other well-trod myths like King Arthur's Court or the dramatized American frontier. You know, so people have criticized the Wakanda portrayal as like this myth. And he's like, it's no different than these other myths that everyone just readily accepts as like as like a part of our story. Sure. And that helped me think think about it. So how about you? <laughs> that's all so fascinating. And when you read the title of the article, I was like, oh, that sounds like maybe that's one that I that I read back when I was doing my my research, my reading for my Black Panther episode. But now I think I, I don't think that it is. It sounds really fascinating. And that concept of applying the concept of the void here is really interesting. Mm. It is reminiscent of some of the conversation that I had with my guest for my Black Panther episode. Professor Brian Yates, and he was talking about how the closest analog to the fictional Wakanda in the real world would be Ethiopia as a 
as a part of Africa that had not been colonized as, yes. as an example of the, of the kind of what could have been. Um, to your point, or kind of bouncing off of what you said as well, the idea of, of Black Panther bringing up these new ideas to dig into and to learn about, the concept of Afrofuturism is something that is really fascinating mm-hmm. to me and I had been a little bit familiar with in terms of music, particularly like funk music, but mm-hmm. applying that or, or seeing where Black Panther um, kind of relates to that aesthetic and, and that philosophy is really interesting to me as well. From a pure, you know, thinking about academic lenses, from a pure filmmaking standpoint, the the cinematography of Black Panther is absolutely gorgeous. I, there's, I think there's a reason why Black Panther is the MCU film that has been nominated for and, and has won Oscars. It did win a couple, right? Black Panther won three Oscars, it says here. Black Panther did win three Oscars, best costume design, best original score, and best production design. And I think Excellent. deservedly so. So if we're taking that film perspective to it, obviously it's a um, it, it's a very worthy work of art. Thematically, as you already mentioned, we're dealing with concepts of colonialism, international relations, when it's important to stray from your ideals or not. Again, this this concept of purpose. Mm-hmm. In a meta way, the massive success of this film has tremendous implications. Uh, I read an article that called it a defining moment for Black America. And mm-hmm. as my guest had said, you know, the depictions of African culture here really being groundbreaking, not that there is one African culture, but as he said, seeing people of African descent and people on the continent in this way as a counterpoint to Hollywood's traditional notions mm-hmm. of Africa as being this kind of monolithic thing that is often painted in a in a painted in the light of of struggle. So I don't have much more to add to it beyond that. Thank you so much for for sharing your your comments on yeah. Black Panther and it's it's funny. I have it at number four. You have it at number two. Yeah. Order of the numbers here, right? Doesn't doesn't uh, matter too much, I don't think. So since Black Panther was your number two, that brings me to my number two, which was your number four. So <laughs> my number two is Captain America: Civil War. For me, Captain America: Civil War is the movie that provided me with the final push to actually do the podcast. I said this on my episode. I said this on my podcast episode on Civil War that I would argue that concerning the weaving of the intricate intertextual web, concerning the ways in which the MCU is playing with this comics idea of single issues in a larger world, this is one of the crowning achievements of the MCU, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. Every time I see it, I get something new out of it. And there's so much character development. There's so much intriguing conflict. We're looking at this idea of collective identity. Who are the Avengers if they're fractured? What does it mean to be an Avenger? We get in the discussion about the Sokovia Accords, the questions about ethics. Uh, In the episode that I did, we talked a little bit about Steve and Tony as being representative of different ethical approaches. We talked about Tony as as being this futurist, whereas Steve is this man out of time. We dug into the rhetorical appeals, ethos, pathos, logos, how they're used when the characters are arguing about the Sokovia Accords. On top of all that, we have this essential question to ponder about to what extent to what extent should someone be held accountable for actions that 
they couldn't control or for actions that they might take if they lose control, right? In the case of Bucky, and this is something that comes up elsewhere in the MCU. So Civil War tickles all of that for me. And that's why, you know, I played Mm -hmm. around with the order of the list as well. And at one point I had Civil War a little bit lower, but I ultimately bumped it up to the number two spot because it really did give me that push to, to finally approach the podcast. So what is it about Civil War for you? So it's funny. I thought, well, okay, this is going to reveal something that, so my number one is not Captain America, the winter soldier. Right. Mm-hmm. So, cause I was going to put that one on there instead of civil war. And I was talking with, with, um, Brandy, my, my wife, and she was like, how can you put winter soldier, but not civil war? And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I think that while winter soldier is like one of my top films, I think Civil War carries what started in that in in First Avenger and in Winter Soldier and brings it to fruition. But until I started really thinking about why I was putting Civil War on this list, I I continually would get stuck on this on this like media hyped Tony versus Steve and I started to I went back and I analyzed the scene where they're arguing. Mm-hmm. The, the, the argument, right? Where they like lay out all their cards and stuff. And I stopped seeing it as, as a philosophical debate. And I started to see their humanity mm-hmm. and it wasn't hard to see Tony because Tony's all pathos, right? Like when Tony responds, he gets up, he's pissed off about the coffee grounds. And then he shows them the, the image of the boy whose mother had confronted him. Like his argument is purely from emotion and fear. And, yes. um, and that, that, that he can't trust himself. Like he can't trust himself. And, um, and, but what's funny is that I never thought of this. Steve is in the same place in terms of, he's also on a, a journey where when he was in, he, I mean, he, this man understands sacrifice and he, he gave up, he willingly gave his body uh, for a cause and he fought in war. So he and, he, and he lost his best friend. So he understands sacrifice, collateral damage. And so on that aspect of it, I don't think that argument is going to work on Steve because Tony is new to Tony, you know? And so Steve's like, this is what being a warrior is, is about. Like you make sacrifice. I'm not saying it's good, but, but I don't have the same level of, of guilty conscience as you do. Um, I'm not saying that Steve is okay with it. It's just like, he, he's, He's in a he's in a different place morally yeah, speaking, point. but but also when it comes to the Winter Soldier, he that movie crushed any faith he had in institutions at yes. all, and all that's left is his friends and himself and what he knows to be true and what he trusts about his friends, and that's what he's arguing. That's what he's he his response to uh, Rhodey. So Rhodey says it's the UN. It's not Hydra. It's not Shield. So Rhodey. Rhodey picks up on Steve's fear, but Steve says there's still a group of people who could change their mind about what they're, what they're, what does he say? He says, um, they are made up of people with agendas and agendas can change. Yeah. And, and like, that's where cap is. And so I'm, I'm seeing this through a lens, a much more human lens. And then as this, like this, like very symbolically charged, uh, fight between, um, between Cap and, and and Tony, 
with, with Bucky involved. So I need to go back and revisit this, but I, I needed to include it on my list because I know it's the culmination of many of these ideas. And also I completely agree with you about its place in the MCU, you know, bless the Russo brothers and yeah. their, their magic, but like to, to really, to really like launch uh, the story into what became Endgame, right? Like to be able to, 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 to bring that to fruition when if you saw a civil war, you never would thought that, that, that you could carry that story so far and so so wide. Um, it, they also introduced like two new characters. Yeah, that happened. So agree with you. So much is going on. I love how the different individuals, how they play. You know, you can just sit with this scene and pick it apart and talk about it, let alone all the other stuff. So <laughs> Oh, 100%. That one scene alone, there's so much to get into. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, the role that it plays in the MCU, not only in introducing those new characters so seamlessly while also telling this complex story about the characters that we've already known and loved, it's Mm -hmm. so masterful. And one of my favorite things, too, is when, when they're sitting there and Ross is showing them the footage of what we have already seen as being what took place in Lagos earlier in that film, what we saw took place in Sokovia in Ultron, what we saw took place in New York in Avengers, what we saw took place in Washington, D.C., in Winter Soldier. And it's Mm -hmm. recontextualizing for us as the viewers who have seen it play out in one way. Those characters on our screen are watching it. They lived it play out right like they lived the way that it played out in one way and now it's being shown to us more from the perspective of what it was like maybe for those people who were on the ground for those civilians yeah it it just i love the way that civil war really showed that the mcu was not going to shy away from the questions that started to pop up in a movie like ultron started to pop up in in winter soldier where it was like well what about everybody else? What about the civilians here? What about the real world implications of what this organization of Avengers would be? I, I think for many years or in many iterations, superheroes, I, I think of a superhero like Batman, who is this lone ranger, right? And I understand he has relationships in some of the comics and some of the movies, right? With a Robin character or with mm-hmm. whoever it may be, Alfred. Um, but somebody who's really operating on his own, sure, with a relationship with, with Commissioner Gordon or whatever it might be, right? But the the Avengers are an organization. They become mm-hmm. like an organization in and of themselves. They're like employed. Mm-hmm. The MCU starts to ask questions about how they make money, right? It, it's yeah. very fascinating and very real. And maybe that's some of the stuff that people don't want in their superhero movie. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm here for it. I think it's it's really, really fascinating. Yeah. So. And I like, like, what is their place in the world? Yeah. You know, like what this movie really confronted you with that. I was trying to think, cause I thought that, um, the, um, for all we rib on Zack Snyder, um, that the, the Batman versus Superman movie caught that, that same dynamic and they came out in the same year. So I think I can give them some credit, but like the man of steel movie came out. I don't know if you've seen these movies, but man of steel came out and Superman, and his enemies destroy Metropolis and like all these buildings fall and stuff. Mm-hmm. And in Batman v Superman, the reason why Batman's so pissed off is because Superman's actions killed a bunch of people. Like, I mean, there, there was like very little regard for innocent life. And Batman was like on Bruce Wayne was like on the ground running around. 
And so I thought that was cool how like they gave you that same story, but from the the ant's perspective, you know, getting stepped on basically. Mm -hmm. And that's, I'm hearing that again, it was the same realism. There's like a, there's like for, for everything Ultron, the, the age of Ultron had a kind of polish to it that even though there were some darker themes, it had a polish to it that, and, and there was this big, like end point where they they drop a nation on the ground. It's just like, yay. You know, it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's, 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 um, it, it carries the like fallout in, in, in a real way. Yeah. It's not like things are not okay. I think that's you know? a great, a great term that it, that Ultron yeah. has a polish to it. It introduces some of these ideas, but it doesn't go there. Civil War goes there. And I actually, yeah. I'll fully admit, I have not seen Batman v Superman. All of my Batman awareness comes from Burton Batman and forever. Schumacher and Nolan. <laughs> and I'm very excited for the Matt Reeves film. But we both have one more MCU installment to talk about tonight. What is your number one? Thor Ragnarok. I love that you put Thor Ragnarok on the list. I didn't. It's not my number yeah. one. But I love that you put it on the list because I I actually have, I don't know if you're aware, you also teach teenagers, so maybe you have seen this meme template out there where 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 people talk about characters and they'll say, oh, this character looks like they can kill you, but really they're a cinnamon roll. Or <laughs> I don't know if you've I have not this. seen this. Okay. No. Or like this character looks like a cinnamon roll, but really they could kill you. Um, so I had this idea of like Thor to me, Thor Ragnarok is an MCU movie that looks like a completely fun, ridiculous romp, but really it's an academic text. <laughs> it, it will destroy you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's my brain starts to hurt when I start to, when I really start to pick it apart. I was like, I was like, are we going to choose the same thing? Um, but it is a wild movie. I mean, it is, it is. How did this movie get made um, <laughs> that single-handedly saved a character? Okay, so I was listening to your your episode on this movie. It was one of your earliest episodes, mm -hmm. and you had two wonderful guests who really they don't they don't hold back on Thor. So it's like <laughs> yeah. it's remarkable how Thor doesn't really develop in this movie. He doesn't. He remains the same. Um, and yet how that's received is completely changed. And I credit that with the writer, with, with Taika Waititi. Like he, everything he says now, which is the same as what he said before, is hilarious and silly. Um, uh, it's queer and it is totally subversive. Um, so your, your writer, your, your guests, and you brought up the themes of colonialism in this and the way that language, how important language is. And so if you just look at the, 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 the fact that Thor focuses on how um, Jeff Goblin's character constantly calls him the Lord of Thunder yeah. and Thor corrects him, the God of Thunder and like discourse is just it's so essential and it's playing throughout. And then there's, there's the scene between Jeff Goldblum's character and his assistant who could kill anybody. Um, she's Topaz. wonderful. 
she topaz she he's she's like the slaves and he's like no 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 no, i don't like that word yeah she's like the the the, the prisoners who are employed like the, with jobs prisoners he's like yes, jobs, that's much yeah. Better. yeah it's much better so it's just like it's absurd you know and um just the absurdity level of that film just ratchets and then you have you know korg and his his sidekick just like rolling on and and hulk like one of the main characters is hulk who like up to that point was a raging emotion with very few lines now all of a sudden he's a fully formed character and you're sad to see him go when bruce banner comes back you're like i'll oh, bring back oh like like where'd hulk go you know and and um and 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 you get bruce banner having to be bruce banner in a situation where he like thor says you could really use hulk and then so i'm only folk right now i've only focused on the uh the, the things that happen in sakaar you know, the, the 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 main structure of the story is Odin sitting down with his two boys who have now reconciled and say, sorry, guys, I've effed you over. You have a sister who is going to try to conquer the world. Oops. And then he dies. Right. Yep. It's like, thanks. <laughs> uh, it's like Odin sucks. And like um, and now um, now uh, they have to deal with Hela, who is such a tragic figure, but totally villainous. I mean, you have. Like your sympathy stops with her when she just like kills everybody, but it's like your guests identify you, you all kind of talked around this and you kind of came to this conclusion about the fact that she is, she, she represents a kind of um, repressed femininity. That's like, that's like, you don't, I don't mean that in a sensualist way. I mean, like you, you don't get to be what you want to be. So she has this ambition and her father's like, no, 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 you don't get to be that. I'm going to lock you away and erase you from history. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, it's wild. And I could keep going. <laughs> it's, 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 it's also the film. It saved the Thor franchise. And I always joke that it's because they made Thor guardians, right? Because they, they just, they just turn everything on its head. And, and, um, and it, and it's, 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 it, it gives me a lot of, it makes me very excited for the next installment we're getting a Thor four, right? Like whoever thought we'd get a fourth Thor movie <laughs> and we're not getting any more Iron Man movies, right? That's like, true. but we're getting a fourth Thor movie and it's like the craziest thing we'll ever see according to the director. So, and, and as an aside, I've been watching the FX series, um, what we do in the shadows, which oh. is also by Taika Watiti. And I, I've seen the film that, that he and his, his friend did just Justin Clement they they were like you know hired to, to do a new an fx series years a few years later and it is delightful it is just so absurd and the comedy is so out there that um it makes me appreciate thor ragnarok more and more and i know i said dr strange is maybe the least uh i, I said it's the least kind of form but i think i would say that about thor ragnarok also it's just i constantly find new ways to like Oh crap. Like this is way more than I thought it was. There's so much more going on here than I thought than I than I originally thought. Yeah. So it, that's where I'm It looks like something that it's not, right? It looks like it's just no. completely ridiculous romp, but mm-hmm. there's there is so much there. And the more I hear you talk about it, the more I I wish I had put it on my top 5 list. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it, it it was right there under under the cut and I'm really glad that you brought it up so that we could we could talk about it a little bit here. Thank you for also bringing back um, 
Thank you for also reminding me about some of the comments that I had in my conversation with Lakshmi and Carolyn about Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. That was a really fun conversation that we had. And and they were such perfect guests for that episode because they are so silly and can be so over the top and and, and into mm-hmm. the campiness of everything. But also they're mm-hmm. both incredibly thoughtful and, and looking at these deep, deep themes because of the perspectives that they also have from from their lives and and what they do. So that was a really fun episode to do. And it's been really great to kind of... Um, as you said early on in our recording, th- this has been a conversation of our top five from a snooty academic lens. It's also been a fun reflection on where the podcast has been. So I, yeah. I appreciate that. I would say of all the things we've talked about tonight, Thor Ragnarok is the one now that like I want to go watch it right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but definitely. I can't do that just yet because I have to share what my number one on the list is. Yep. And I chose WandaVision. <sighs> and... I chose WandaVision for a lot of reasons. And I think the reason why is that when I was jotting down, you know, my short list of what was going to become the top five before I had any order in mind, it is the one that I was most excited to just kind of gather all of these notes that I had had on it already and take some more notes on it. And I participated in, uh, well, Christopher Maverick has been a guest on the show a couple of times. Mav, he is one of the co-hosts of the Vox Popcast. And mm-hmm. over on that show that he does with his co-hosts, they did a roundtable on WandaVision and invited me to it. And for that conversation, I had really organized a, a lot of different notes, color-coded by different ideas. And I was revisiting that and I was like, oh my gosh, there is so much to WandaVision that just completely invigorates every part of me that wants mm. to go and write a thesis paper. Um, mm-hmm. It the The marriage of the story and the storytelling, the clues about the story and the characters that were hidden within the genre decisions, especially as that show unfolded week to week and we were looking for these clues of like, what the hell is going on in this show? The way they utilized the commercials, the way that it was all along, it was actually quite a straightforward exploration of grief and trauma, despite everything that we were looking into it. That's really what it was about at the end of the day. And it was a beautiful example of an internal struggle taken to an externalized extreme. And I just I just think it's a masterpiece. I, I the way that it looked at the the dark underbelly of the ideal suburban landscape and played with that trope, the way that this was the MCU's first foray into TV, not the Marvel Netflix shows, right? The MCU content consciously created for the cinematic universe and the way that it was so fitting that it was this love letter to TV. It was this homage to the styles and tropes of past decades. It was so satisfying in that connection between medium and meaning. TV sitcoms always, right, since the 1950s were very much products of their time and tone setters for the culture, heightened visions of the real world, images that would influence societal norms surrounding things like mm. suburban neighborhoods, gender roles, family dynamics. We, we saw all of that play out in WandaVision. I just think it was mm-hmm. so clever. The way that what we've seen on screen is both shaped by and simultaneously shapes reality. I, I'm actually just reading from some of my notes now because this is just like, <laughs> these are things that I just keep coming back to. The show places itself in the larger context of television history while playing with 
those ideas to comment on the ways in which Wanda interacts with her own reality. And this is one of the things that I talked about with them over on the Vox podcast is that if one of the things to kind of circle back here, one of the things about superhero stories that resonates with us is how they reflect the zeitgeist of the times. There was something Mm -hmm. so singular about the moment that WandaVision came out. And in that week to week, the conversations that were happening around it, the way that it resonated across generations that I would talk to older people like my parents who got really into WandaVision, my young students, the way that um, we were all kind of collectively living in this moment of, of trauma around the COVID pandemic, yep. the way in which it spoke about escaping into the worlds of TV, while many of us week to week were escaping into the world mm-hmm. of this show. Uh, one of the other things I spoke about when I was over on Vox podcast was my my Generation Z students uh, telling me about a TikTok trend last year called shifting. Shifting? And shifting. Yes. Okay. And I don't know if it's still a thing that is big on TikTok because it seems the TikTok trends really live up to their names and being trends and kind of the, uh-huh. the kids move on to the next thing pretty quickly. But the idea of shifting is this idea of trying to move your own consciousness from your reality into your desired reality. And it was this strange way that teens thought that they could, or maybe it was somewhat of a joke, but it was like, ooh, if we could play with our consciousness so that we could transport themselves, transport ourselves into our desired worlds, which in many cases were fictional universes of fandoms, right? So it was like this bizarre, like, like they've kids would take to TikTok to kind of teach each other how to shift, right? If you meditate hard enough, right? Or, but then it kind of became like a joke, like, oh, I'm shifting right now. Like kids in class would be like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to shift right now. So to me, though, like this is happening and we're seeing on WandaVision this very idea of this, of this woman who is in such an extreme amount of pain that all she wants to do is escape into the world of these comforting television shows that got her through, you know, her childhood. And we are, we're, I'm hearing from kids in, in real life who are, are trying to shift into their fictional universes. You know what I mean? Um, that it, it just felt very much like it was playing with this moment in time. It was resonating in this moment in time. And I will never, I will never not be jazzed about a conversation around, the ways in which fantastical representations can tell real human stories going back to Buffy, right? It all starts with Buffy, right? Yes. Season one of Buffy high school is hell. Literally that is it. Let's just take that and make that as, as fantastical as we can. And I think that that's something that WandaVision did really well. I, I think I was, I think I had an, an unexplored bias against recent content because um, I am remembering WandaVision as you're talking about it. And that might be the most coherent emotional explanation, uh, exploration of a character's grief. Right. Yeah. And, and we picked up on it early. I remember because I was, that's, that's literally when I started listening to Trey and Jude's podcast and I became aware of your podcast. And I don't think I started, I don't think I listened to your WandaVision. But um, I imagine a lot of these thoughts, like a lot of these thoughts, we haven't fully processed that experience, but it's completely tied up with 
being locked down yeah. and, um, and uh, being starved of content. And I don't, I can't point to a riskier creative move that just paid in, just pays in dividends over and over and over again. And just as a, as a MCU fanatic, this show is, is remarkable, but also my parents enjoyed it. Like they don't like people who don't need, don't have, can understand it and watch it and derive a great amount of pleasure and and enjoyment from watching it. Um, And like, what's funny is that, you know, right. Coming off the heels of WandaVision was Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I really liked, but I like, I dove into that in the same level that it WandaVision. And I don't think it, it was built that way right. in the same way that WandaVision was. And so I think we were kind of deflated at, at a certain point um, with, with the, with Falcon on the shoulder, just because it wasn't living up to what we had gotten with WandaVision. But um, you, you are reminding me of that experience and just how, how dense, how thick it was um, with meaning just flowing over and just like, like, um, I mean, it's no wonder people were like sad by the end. They were just like, Oh, that's it. Because like, how do you, how do you end that? I mean, how do you like, how do you conclude something that layered? And, um, and, um, I went back a few months ago, I was at my parents' house and I watched that again. I watched it with them because they hadn't seen it. And I was like, good Lord, I, I, I forgot this. Like just a 30, a 20 minute episode was like, it was the nuance and the, the layers of just that first 20 minute episode, 25 minute episode was wild. And I was like, it just gets better from here. So I come, I completely, completely echo your, your, um, cause, cause it, it ties, it ties not only all the thought provoking things about it, but it ties your, the, all the thought provoking things about it with kind of really personal experiences. And that's how I felt about watching some of these movies is like, mm-hmm. they're tied with, with um, things that, that, uh, that resonated with me. So awesome. <laughs> yeah, this was a lot of fun. And I, I, I think that we, despite the fact that we've been talking all things considered for about two hours, I feel like we've scratched the surface. <laughs> <laughs> we've scratched the surface of so much more. I mean, any, any one of these installments we mentioned here tonight could be another episode on top of the work that you and I have both already done uh, mm. in, in terms of, of doing episodes or doing research and writing and things already. So there is, there really is so much here. And I think what that has really shown it is it, it's um that there there's we're on to something when we mm. when, when we have these <laughs> these conversations about what the mcu is and and what it can mean for people and and the meaning that we can take out of it so i want to thank you again for being here for this conversation and for really being being the impetus behind this conversation. So it, we're, we're in a uh, feedback loop where you're saying that you were inspired by the podcast itself in the premise for this episode. <laughs> and then the premise of this episode coming from you kind of inspired me to revisit some of the podcast. And uh, it's all all the fun stuff that that uh, that we like. <laughs> yeah. So should we just recap uh, real quick our lists? Yes, let's do it. 
Okay, so my number five was Doctor Strange. My number four was Captain America Civil War. Uh, my number three was Captain Marvel. My number two is Black Panther. And my number one was Thor Ragnarok. And I'll point out that all those films came out between 2016 and 2019. So something really, yeah, I think that's phase three, phase right? Three. Those are all phase three. Yeah, yeah phase three was um, a big moment. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I had number five, Doctor Strange, number four, Black Panther, number three, Loki, number two, Captain America Civil War, and number one, WandaVision. So what's interesting is that there are the three there that we mm-hmm. have in common. And then I did two TV shows <laughs> and you did Captain Marvel and Ragnarok, which probably would yeah. have been the other movies I would have chosen if I cut the TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, those two and the other one I thought about making a case for was Infinity War. Yeah. Um, I always talk about that one and I talked about it with you as being like so, so interesting as uh, narratively as having Thanos being the main character and the driving force yeah. of the story and everyone else following and flowing from it. And, and uh yeah, that that would be that would be my kind of entry point. What about you? I think so. I think so. When I when I put yeah. it on my short list, I was thinking about the way that it subverted our expectations of of what we mm. see in these types mm-hmm. of films. And also yeah. there's a lot that you can look into in terms of Thanos and ecology and yeah. Things like that. Yep. Um, that I haven't yep. particularly dug into, but I'm sure that there have been people out there who have written from those perspectives as well. Mm-hmm. So before we wrap up here tonight, anything else on your mind that has come out of this conversation? I am excited for to plant the seed for when you decide to, you know, do your thing you know, and match your guest with, with, uh, a show, but you look at, um, some of the more recent films and shows and do your, there was an idea, you know, like in the classic sense. So when you, you you go back in a year or two years or whatever, however long you're doing this and you, you say, we're going to do Loki now. And you go back and you rewatch Loki. We're going to do WandaVision now. We're going to, we're going to like, look at it. Now it's had time to settle. We're going to do Black Widow. We're going to do Shang-Chi. I am looking forward to those to those uh episodes well thank you i'm looking forward to making those episodes i'm, I'm very much looking <laughs> forward to like you said yeah revisiting the shows as one piece instead of week-to-week reactionary coverage one piece you know reflection with some time that has gone by and i'm also looking forward to thinking about some overarching themes and how to group some movies together not just by phase right or movies and or shows episodes even um, not just by phase, but by subcategory of what they might be trying mm-hmm. to say about identity or about who we are and or the many selves, as Tom Hiddleston said. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And I have to thank you, Daniel, as always, for sharing your many thoughts and insights that are always get me thinking and wanting to go in a million directions of further research and further reading uh, all of the conversations that that we have online are are so fun and uh really invigorating and i i love that you've brought that energy to the podcast itself do you have any other podcast appearances planned for anytime soon yes um i will be on um with 
Jude for MCU Need to Know. And um, we are discussing topics uh, right now. It's going to be a topic-based episode because we've got some, we've got a break. Um, And uh, I am also very much looking forward to the Eternals. Yes. And so I'm trying to jockey my way onto a a reaction (laughs) episode or or whatever. But, um, you know. Uh, so if anyone's out there, they want, I'm very invested in the Eternals right now. I'm trying to avoid spoilers. So um, you can find me on Instagram or um, the MCU need to know discord. Um, if you're a part of that community, which is a great community. And I'll link to that as well. I'm, I'm admittedly bad at using discord, but I will also, anytime I've had those guys on, I've always linked to all of their other socials, but not the discord. Mm-hmm. So I'll throw that for people as well. This might be a lengthy show notes with a lot of links. But hey, it is the academic episode. It's the academic snooty episode. (laughs) So there's that. All right. Well, thank you again so much, Daniel. Thank you for having me, Tara. If you enjoyed this conversation between Daniel and me about the snooty academic side of the MCU, please consider checking out some of the early episodes of the podcast, starting with Origin Story and my first two seasons of the show. And please, of course, consider following the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow on Instagram at bpenderillustrations. And music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. And fun fact, since this is the academic episode, both of those people, former students of mine. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned in upcoming weeks for more conversations between guests and me about all of the aspects of the MCU that we love.